This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Fifteen of the Yellow Warpods. I'm your host Stefan Botsko, as always, and I'm joined by this beautiful panel after the Christmas days. Hello, Paul. Hello, Paulman. Hello, Lars. Lars Paulman here with me. How are you doing? Hello, Botsko. Uh, I'm pretty good. How's Stefan? <laughs> Stefan is also very well. And uh, while we're speaking of ourselves in the third person, it's the perfect time to announce Mr. Konstantin Eckner. From Spielverlagerung, among other things. Hello, Konstantin. How are thy doing? Uh, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like like our show is going off the rails, like right away. Yeah, you should be used to it by now after about 200 episodes. Sure. Anywho, uh, let's get to it then and try to get this show somewhat back on its rails uh, before anything else uh, this show will obviously be sponsored or presented by Chris Bias, who was so nice to pledge us a buck on Patreon so for everyone else please do that as well and uh, yeah basically we will be talking about Bayern Munich or rather the cup match and then uh, yeah focus our attention a little bit on transfer rumors and whatnot. so without any further ado Constantine, uh, why were Bayern Munich so overpowering in the first half and uh, why did that change in the second? Can you maybe uh, have a short recap of that game? Yeah, so uh, Stöger decided to pull off the old uh, underdog uh, uh, five at the back uh, kind of tactics. Uh, Pretty much or almost every Bundesliga team Pulls off uh, going, uh, traveling to Munich. I don't know why he did it uh, in this case because I mean Dortmund is not like your average Bundesliga club, uh, especially with coming uh, or riding on a two-win, uh, two-game uh, winning streak. But uh, yeah, he decided to do it. I mean, maybe he just thought he's still uh, he's, he's back at uh, Cologne, where they uh, of course do uh, stuff like that all the time. Um, you know, traveling to. Uh, Teams that are just simply better than them, but uh, in this case, yeah, it wasn't really uh, what you should do. Um, adding a additional third um, center back for no particular purpose, just doing it to, you know, have a stronger defense or something, which uh, enabled Bayern to, you know, let just, uh, you know, just moving the ball around, and uh, there's no pressure from Dortmund uh, because. They gave up so much space up front. You got only two strikers up front, uh, which couldn't, you know, apply any pressure and basically had to backtrack uh, right away. And yeah, so uh, you just... I mean, there, there, there is nothing going on in terms of pressing also, and that, that allowed Bayern to just 
uh, do their thing. And I mean, they had chances over chances, and uh, I mean, they, they could have scored four goals or so in the first thirty minutes. And it wouldn't be like would wouldn't have been surprising, um, considering Stöger's tactics. Uh, and and he, uh, I mean, he noticed his mistake after I don't know when was the first substitution. Um, thirty fifth minute. Yeah, thirty fifth minute. Coming so. from Mark Bartley. Wait, wait, thirty fifth minute. So when when he replaced one of the center backs with a with a. Uh, junior and center midfielder, you know, going back to the four three three. Which he should have chosen right away, um, but he didn't do it. Um, so yeah, basically a beginner's mistake, uh, I have to say. And um, sure, I mean the problem was that that a few minutes later, like you, you're you're behind one or gone goal, um, you know, he goes back to the four three three, right right decision to do that. Uh, but you, you know, you can see the novel goal uh, before the halftime break, which is of course like something uh, that that shouldn't happen, but. Uh, Great, great play by Bayern actually. Uh, prior to the Müller goal, um, you know, just uh, it looked like nothing was going on uh, when Müller had the ball uh, close to the touchline, but then uh, just accelerating the thing. Uh, their one pass layoff by uh, Lewandowski, um, basically uh, forcing uh, pick and roll, basically uh, when when Schmelzer bumped into uh, Toprak there. Um, yeah, and then Müller with a great finish. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you thought like the Bayern killed the game then, and they didn't do it because they got sloppy themselves, a little bit lazy here and there, no pressure. Uh, just you're giving the ball away far too easily, and Dortmund and they 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 threw Dortmund back into the game for for no reason actually. I it was just Bayern sloppiness. Maybe it had something to do with uh, it being the last match before the winter break. But still, I mean, um, that wasn't necessary on their part, but it did do that, and Dortmund had the chance. I mean, Yamolenko um, scored the the first goal for Dortmund, and Isaac had had the chance to equalize. Uh, you know, wait before the match was called off, and um, yeah, but he missed the chance. Uh, unfortunately, uh, would have been a great story. Uh, with him scoring, but that didn't happen. Um, so I mean, it isn't it isn't like Dortmund did considerably better in the second half, but they at least played decent, and Bayern didn't do anything. Uh, Toprak actually did did quite well as the as the uh, center back with uh, more touches than, uh, of course, with, with the, you know more touches in the build up and a few nice passes there. Um, I mean, of course, nothing too spectacular, but um, because I thought like um, replacing Batra after thirty-five minutes was was not the right decision, um, you should have replaced uh, Socrates or I mean probably Socrates. Uh, you you need uh, these build-up defenders or these these defenders who are gifted in the build-up play um, to do something when you are behind and uh, want to go, want to come back and especially in the cup match. Uh, where this you know uh, do or die uh, situation, um, but yeah, he he replaced Bartra, um with with Dahoud, um, but Toprak stepped up there, uh, which is probably good for him because he he looked nervous and and not really uh, there and not at, at the top of his game um, prior to the Bayern Munich match. Even when Dortmund won the, two, the matches uh, at Mainz and against Hoffenheim, he was more or less a little bit underwhelming here and there. Uh, at least in 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 phases of of both matches. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. What else, Stefan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I thought uh, maybe you leave some things for last to talk about. Um, no, no, last, no. Maybe, maybe before anything, do you think that uh, the uh, quote-unquote passiveness of Dortmund in the first half hour or first half in general was just down to the formation or was it just yeah Dortmund being just too passive overall and it wouldn't really have mattered what kind of system they had played at this instant because to me they too often stayed away from tackles altogether how did you see that well first of all I think Bayern were pretty good in the first half uh And even though they're not on top of their game and haven't been for most, if not all, of uh, the first half of the season, there is still quite a quite a lot to, to handle on a good day. Uh, and a few important players on that te on that Bayern team had a good day, uh, especially I thought Alaba and Ribéry, who both have been up and down. Ribéry mostly due to injuries uh, of late. Uh, Thomas Müller, I thought, was pretty good as well. So it's not like it's easy to play at Bayern in the cup. And then especially knowing you are without your uh, one outlet up front in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who missed the match through a hip injury. Uh, it's it's a difficult situation to get into the game then and, and be aggressive and positive when... Uh, probably the realistic outcome of this game, uh, if you are lucky, is a, a slight defeat or maybe you can force uh, Bayern into overtime. But without Aubameyang and the game being at Bayern and Dortmund having undergone a coaching change like 10 days before the game or so, I don't know how realistic it was for anybody to expect a much more positive and forceful performance from Dortmund. So... Ultimately, this wasn't too dissimilar, in my opinion, to some of the games uh, against Bayern under Tuchel, who also usually went with a back five and opted for athleticism. The, the, the difference was that they had Aubameyang and, and often had that little bit of luck uh, you need against Bayern to get one or two great chances and Aubameyang yeah, more like often Javi than not. Screwing something up or so that yeah, I don't so, think I mean, happened. Something, something usually happened for these Dortmund teams, uh, and and usually it was about Umbabayang doing something. So, uh, I I wouldn't be too harsh on either Stöger, even though obviously he got some of his tactics wrong, or the team for maybe a timid performance. I think uh, the odds were very much in uh, Bayern's favor for this game, and I mean. Eventually, Bayern will have to travel to Dortmund in a cup match, so maybe that <laughs> that would have been fairer and better for the neutrals. But I mean, uh, I, I I wasn't on the preview show, but I would have said something like three one Bayern. So ultimately, a two one with Dortmund having a shot at uh, forcing overtime, even though Bayern obviously were much better and and could have scored three or four if not for. Fantastic performance from Roman Berkey. Uh, I mean, a 2-1 defeat at Bayern in the Cup, uh, that's largely a fine result, ultimately. Yeah, I think I think so too. And uh, yeah, it would have been very Dortmundish to actually come away with the equalizer when thinking back to the last couple of games. And uh, I don't know, maybe they would have turned it around completely had they gotten that equalizer but of course you never know how things pan out in Munich um Konstantin I thought Mahmoud Dahoud had a very good game after coming on uh 
I don't know if it was his best performance so far in the Dortmund shirt. Uh, there were certainly not too many good to choose from. So maybe based on uh, you know lack of uh, yeah samples, that might have been it. Do you do you think that the way the hoop played is something we will get to see more often in the second half of the season, or do you think he'll uh, have to sit on the bench again with uh, Castro returning from injury and also Mario Götze? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant on that one. Uh, I mean, initially I thought that Dahoud would be one of the key players uh, in the Dortmund team uh, in the in the season, but um, yeah, he has struggled quite a lot, and uh, even even one or two decent performances, you know, don't make up for uh, what he what he did before, um, especially before Stöger came in, um, and also I think that right now um, there is especially in the in the current system or the, uh, considering the system uh, Stöger uses right now that uh, there's almost no way that he gets past uh, Mario Götze if uh, when Mario Götze is of course uh, ready to go um, and uh, because Mario Götze is basically your key player in the entire system and um, I mean Stöger would be stupid and he is not uh, and he would be stupid to, to leave him out um, on purpose I mean here and there of course he will just rotation and and recovery and so uh but overall i mean uh Götz is your key player in the system and and so i, I don't think uh, the will will get in there um the, the reason is is quite simple um the is someone who of course is, is created connecting piece uh, of connecting you know the let's say the the defensive midfield and and the attacking midfield um th those two parts um he's he's quite well or he's he, he does that quite well But um, you need Götze because he can he can do basically the same, but also has more presence um, close to Aubameyang, close to the wingers, and he can he can make them look good, uh, which you need. Um, so I mean, Götze is basically your key player there, and I don't think that will change. Although sometimes maybe he can put on Götze as the uh, in the Kagawa role, and then. Um, Uh, Dahoud maybe a little bit deeper and and you have like a midfield free there with with Weigel, uh, which could also work well. But um, I mean, Dahoud is coming from behind and he has to he has to step up uh, more. And maybe he does that during the winter break and all in the first few matches afterwards. But right now he's he's not in the in the let's say quote unquote perfect starting eleven because there you got Mario Götze and Kagawa um, and and Weigel, of course. Um, so yeah, he's basically the, the I, I think the first substitute substitution player, um, and 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 one of the key role players, of course, but uh, not more than that, which is a little bit disappointing. But considering his age and considering that he wasn't as consistent at Gladbach, um, maybe you know he just needs uh, more time to. Uh, become more consistent or he will remain someone who is just not dead and who has like ups and downs all the time maybe Lars do you agree with that notion or do you see Dahoud uh, with more playing time after the break uh, I saw you had a very long ride back to Bonn after visiting your family I guess and uh, you were asked about your perfect 11 and that I think featured Dahoud or rather Dahoud featured in that yeah I mean uh, it did 
simply because I just want to see that midfield three uh, Constantine mentioned just now with Weigel, Center, Wooden. I think we talked about this earlier in the season two that ultimately I think most of us believed at least at that point uh, that that would become Dortmund's go-to uh, formula in midfield. Now obviously that hasn't happened so far mostly uh, because of Dahoud because uh, Götze has been Dortmund's best player this season and it's not been particularly close in my opinion and Weigel uh, after coming back from injury and, and suffering a bit from I guess Peter Bosch's idealism um, he's been solid uh, enough so it was down to Dahoud not performing overly well I happen to disagree with some of uh, the criticism towards him I think Dahoud's was pretty good in that good Dortmund run towards the uh, or at the start of the season in September and uh, the like. Um, he was uh, involved in a lot of goals due to his uh, footwork. Uh, had a few nice touches around the boxes when I think he still might be actually in the lead for Dortmund assists in the Bundesliga this season, which is an alarming, uh, which would be alarming rather. Um, And, and the question Not for Dahoud, but the rest of the team, rather. Yeah, I mean, he does have like three or four, which is a decent amount uh, for for half a season from a central midfielder. But uh, for a team that I think still leads the league in scoring, uh, that's a bit weird. Anyway, the, the question about uh, his playing time next uh, or in 2018, I mean, that entirely depends on health situations basically all over the field. We don't know how and when Götze will come back, even though it wasn't this long an absence. It still will amount to like two and a half months, if I'm not mistaken. So that might take some time until he's fully able to play and, and Castro was injured and a few others. And we don't really know what Stöger's plans are, even though it, it most likely it will be some form of 4-3-3-4-1-4-1 formation just because of the personnel he has available but there are a few options <clears throat> sorry um, at his disposal we haven't really seen Guerrero uh, in central midfield for example and if Marco Reus can come back sometime soon uh, in 2018 maybe Guerrero isn't really used as much on the left wing now obviously that's very much a hypothetical A proposition with Marco Reus's availability always a bit of a question mark uh, even in the short term so I don't know really but ultimately I do believe that Dahoud from his profile makes the most sense uh, with Götze and Weigel because he's adept at playing deeper but also pretty good around the box as I said earlier and uh, he's also much more aggressive uh, in pressing and in straight up defending than someone like Castro or even Kagawa, who's obviously very good at pressing, but doesn't really have the physical capabilities to play in a deeper role all the time. So I, I still have high hopes for Dahoud. I still think signing him for what was it? 12 million from Gladbach was a no brainer. And ultimately I think uh, the signing will come good, but might not be uh, in his first season at Dortmund, which I guess uh, is something we just have to deal with seeing as uh, someone like Ilkay Gundogan and, and a few others didn't really click until, you know, eight, nine months at Dortmund. So why would it be any different for uh, Dahoud? Yeah, someone, I, I, I totally agree, especially when you look at Gundogan and how long it took 
for him to really find his feet at Dortmund. You know, he was also like branded as a disappointment for a very long time before he really, yeah, clicked into full gear. But who I thought has has really performed well in the last. So, sorry, sorry, who has considered a disappointment? Gunwan. Gunwan. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, he like wasn't he was that, he wasn't in the in the match day squad for many games that uh, that fall uh, and and they uh, Klopp went with uh, Sven Bender Sebastian Kehl double pivot because Gundogan was so disappointing. So it's yeah. not like uh, Stefan was uh, overly yeah. exaggerating just now. No, yeah, he, I, I think I, I mean, he, first, first he wasn't season, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't branded a complete flop. But the disappointment, I think, is fair. Um, but, you know, he turned it around, unlike others. <laughs> Moritz Leitner. <laughs> so, How um, dare you? <laughs> I know. But 2018, Moritz Leitner's year. Uh, take it to the yeah. bank. Invest in, I, I guess, Moritz Leitner shares. I don't know how Augsburg are doing financially but 2018 Moritz Leitner World Cup I'm I'm just saying yeah yeah I'm I'm sure I mean you can you can create uh your own crypt key coins or whatever it's called like bitcoin you can uh, start the Leitner coin if you want last uh, but beware I will not whatsoever invest in that <laughs> But yeah, uh, what I actually wanted to say is that I was really impressed by Shinji Kagawa um, in the last couple of games. I thought that he turned his form somewhat around and uh, was one of the few players in that Dortmund pitch that actually showed somewhat of, you know, the aggression last talked about, even though he is not the most physical player. Um, you know, I would say a mismatch is always better than a no match. If you do not try to even go into a header or anything, then uh, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Looking at you, Rafael Guerrero. Um, so yeah, overall, I thought Kagawa had two very good games against Hoffenheim and also against Bayern. Uh, played a lot of good passes. His first touch is yeah really delicate again. Uh, I don't know. He was a little off again. He's... You know, maybe not as streaky as Castro, but he is sometimes a very streaky player. But I thought, you know, with a little bit more game time under the belt, he really showed that he can be an asset. The only thing that's really missing is the, uh, yeah, output of uh, goals and assists he usually has when he plays on the number 10 instead of what, yeah, we can describe as maybe a number 8, number 10 hybrid. It's, it's just not there. He's not often in those positions. And when when he is, I don't know, he's just lacking that little bit of precision to, to score those goals. Which is a little bit frustrating, but ultimately, um, yeah. It's, it's I, I don't know if Dortmund really need Kagawa to score a lot of goals. Still think they have enough scoring outlets. Uh, what do you think, Lars? Is Kagawa really someone who might have taken the momentum from those two or three games... Uh, and and take it into the next year. Well, if he was the kind of player who took momentum into new halves of seasons, let's say, then he should have been absolutely fantastic throughout the first half of this season, seeing as he uh, was, in my opinion, Dortmund's best player uh, in the second half of last season. So... Uh, that didn't really happen. He, he suffered an injury, wasn't available for much of uh, uh, the preseason. 
a new coach, uh, all the things that happened uh, to Dortmund under Peter Bosch, or thanks to, or because of, or however you want to put it, Peter Bosch. And, and really, uh, Kagawa was always kind of there uh, when available for selection, but I, I never really got the sense that uh, this was Kagawa's team as it had been for, for stretches of uh, the second half of last season, or as you said, the, the last two or three matches under Stöger. So uh, I, I would like for that to happen because uh, on his day, Kagawa is still one of the best number 10s, I would say in Europe, probably because there aren't so many uh, left these days and he can be so influential. And, and usually uh, he also contributes scoring wise, as you just said, he hasn't really done that so far, but uh, maybe that's just the, the finishing pixie and, and will get better at some point. I haven't looked at his stats uh, in terms of, you know, expected goals, expected assists and whatever, but uh ultimately I, I mean we talked about Dahoud's prospects uh, I do believe uh, that Weigel Kagawa uh, Weigel Dahoud and Götze sorry uh, are Dortmund's best midfield threesome and and but you know having someone of the quality of Shinji Kagawa as you know the the first option or maybe even a, a starter over Dahoud and, uh, who am I to make that call uh, that that's still a sign that Dortmund's squad despite a few problems and inconsistencies here and there, is still very much uh, a strong one and, and very much good enough to not have this kind of first half of season. Uh, so that, that wasn't only down to lacking quality in a few bad transfers, which, you know, is, is a problem for Dortmund, but uh, not the main one. So ultimately, I, I think Kagawa will probably start scoring a bit more in the second half of the season but I don't know if uh, if his impact of the last two or three games under Stöger is sustainable when uh, other important players are back in action Fair enough, fair enough um, Konstantin one last point on the Bayern match is uh Do, do you see Dortmund turning this game around if they are in a bit of a better form or do you do you think this had much more to do with Bayern's complacency than rather Dortmund kicking into the gear in the second half where Dortmund had like 60% possession after just having 40 in the first half? I mean, of course, the uh, let's say the Tuchel Dortmund, like the Dortmund uh, of Tuchel's first season, yeah, they would have stomped Bayern in the second half, but What does that mean? I mean, it's like, all right, uh, it's pointless basically to discuss that. Uh, so, all right, fair enough. Yeah, no, what, what I want but, to say but is... But did you I, like the adjustments that Sugar made? Um, How about that? Well, I mean, he was basically forced to do it. And I think it was very obvious what he had to do. Yeah, well, uh, you can be forced to do make to make adjustments, but still not make them, you know, so... Yeah, but he did. That's, that's yeah. so, so looking at the adjustments he did, you were happy with them, yay or nay? I I I'm not Neva yes no no yo no 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 because because he did a mistake at first it was quite obvious 
you know, it's just it's like it's like Sinitin Zidane, uh, you know, giving uh, Kovacic the job to men mark Messi all the time. That's it's like there are sometimes ob obvious mistakes where you are, you know, where you think that that shouldn't happen to a, a top class coach. In this case, he did a crucial mistake at first, which shouldn't happen to him. Which also tells you something about his quality, because I think he's an interim coach, but not more than that, uh, which I think I made clear on the last uh, show. Um, yeah, I think you did. Yeah, so, I mean, that's there is a reason why Dortmund is still going for Nagelsmann and not, you know, want, want to keep Stöger uh, beyond next summer. And I think they shouldn't make the mistake to do that just because you have some great results in March or so. Uh, always keep in mind what he sometimes does. And he did he did uh, commit tactical mistakes when he was at Cologne this season. And there was a crucial mistake he did here uh, at first. And yeah, of course, he noticed it and uh, he did something about it. But um, still, sometimes it's, it's a little bit too obvious what you shouldn't do. Because there have been a million cases in the past five or six years where teams did about the same Dortmund did in the first 30 minutes at the Allianz Arena. And they all got basically slaughtered by Bayern. Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, apart from, I don't know, one or two examples um, where, they, where they were able to park the, uh, park the bus, but normally you aren't, especially against the Bayern, which is, uh, you know, better than it has been for quite a while uh, right now, um, at, at least, you know, post uh, Guardiola. Uh, so yeah, it's just um, I, I mean I don't want to you know uh, hate on on Stöger or something, but um, I, I I don't want to like uh, praise him for what he did uh, afterwards because he he did a mistake and uh, that's that's about it. And I I don't think yeah he he deserves he deserves any praise for that match. All right, fair enough. Um, someone who he who deserves a little bit of praise is Andre Schöle. For coming off the bench and straight, straight <laughs> running, running at Ulreich, <laughs> that was, I think, was quite funny. To uh, yeah, basically start pressing right away, and uh, actually he forced a turnover. Not that anything came of it, but uh, still. <laughs> and and with that, I guess we can segue a little bit into the uh, rumor section because uh, you know. Next episode, we, of course, want everyone to send us their uh, categories for our mid-season awards. So uh, do that at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter, Facebook, or uh, yeah, email us on the contact form on uh, yellowwallpot.com. But yeah, for the meantime, let's uh, look a little bit at rumors. And of course, André Schöle, um, yeah, may be on his way out. I don't know how realistic that is, but his agent basically uh, said, I think right ahead of the Bayern match, that uh, his client, uh, you know, has, has to make sure he has, uh, you know, he finds enough playing time. Now, André Schüller, of course, uh, did not find a lot of playing time in Dortmund so far. Most of that, I guess, or at least 50% of, of him not finding any playing time is down to just simply being injured. And I guess uh, we never really saw Schürrle hit full form at Dortmund since joining for 30 million. Um, Lars, I don't know if VfB Stuttgart really are interested in André Schürrle as there are some reports about alone. I really do not see that. But uh, of course, um, yeah, there's a World Cup around and I think Schürrle wants to showcase himself. And I don't know how realistic that is with maybe Marco Reus coming back and... Uh, I also don't know if he can 
find his way past the likes of Yamolenko, Pulisic and, and whatnot if he really finds his form. I don't know how Stöger values him. I, I guess no one of us can, but um, how realistic do you think that uh, is, is it that Andre Schüller can find a club this winter that can actually pay the demands and salary and whatnot of Andre Schüller and actually make sense for both Dortmund and Schüller? Yeah, not overly likely. I, I, I think I would like nothing more than his agent, who must be among the three or four best agents in the world, just by finessing so many play, uh, clubs into uh, pumping a lot of money into this averagely talented, oft injured player. I mean, he's, I think after uh, Mesut Özil, he's probably the the German footballer who's demanded the most transfer fees, or it may actually be that he's the most expensive of all time. I which, think so, yes. Which is, you know, pretty pretty sad in, in many ways. Uh, I mean, he's not going to get past uh, Pulisic and Reus and Yamolenko and Guerrero. And the, the few minutes that, that fall off here and there for another winger uh, should in my opinion, go to uh, Jaden Sancho and not Andre Schöle, who's probably just the, the the backup striker at this point. And we know that Aubameyang loses uh, uh, misses about two or three games a season uh, with injury. Uh, he already was suspended once this season, so that's probably out of the way. So staying at Dortmund wouldn't make too much sense for Schöle, even though uh, the World Cup is a pipe dream no matter where he goes because there's too much uh, competition on the attacking wings now with someone like Leroy Sané doing incredibly well for City, Julian Brandt you never know with Joachim Löw though that yeah you know in this case you really do know Stefan uh, because <laughs> Schöle just isn't good yeah. enough uh, but the, the problem is that few clubs will be able to uh, a few clubs that for for which he would be a decent option to sign, which is another way of saying not many of the good clubs need him or have a use for him. Uh, and, and the clubs that could use him, I mean, Stuttgart would possibly come to mind, I guess. Uh, they can't afford his wages, uh, especially after signing Mario Gomez on a permanent deal. Uh, even though it's Gomez's homecoming, he's still not going to play for Peanuts there. So I very much doubt that they can afford uh, a Gomez and a Schöle. And they obviously chose the, the the central striker over whatever Schöle is these days. Uh, so unless there's someone in England with too much money and, and a fond memory of Andre Schöle beating up on someone in the EFA Cup for Chelsea, uh, I think he's going to stay at Dortmund further uh, devalue on the transfer market and, and then possibly leave in the summer for for less of a fee and a lower wage package than what he's probably commanding right now, seeing as he's only been at Dortmund for 18 months now. Yeah, I don't know where his salary lies, but I can... I, I don't think he... He's probably not the top earner at Dortmund, but, uh, you know, he probably gets a decent salary overall in, in that structure. I mean, Dortmund, after all, shelled out 30 million euro for him at record signing. So I just don't see how the record signing uh, doesn't make a buck 
Konstantin, do you see any club in the world that uh, could realistically pick up Schöle? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe a uh, Chinese club. <laughs> so, uh, or MLS, Qatar, something like that. Yeah, I but know. is that something Schöle would go to? I don't think... I don't know. Um, it's just does he want to go to uh, Stuttgart? I mean, just body the entire wage or wages issue. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I I have no clue how he rates himself. Basically, I mean, he's you know he's jumping from one um, ambitious club to another, and and you know he he is uh, he was at uh, Mainz, Leverkusen, Chelsea, Wolfsburg, Dortmund. I mean, what, what's next? You know, uh, Schalke, and then. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, or, or, or Leipzig? No, probably not. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just uh, Schürrle is basically one. I mean, the player at Dortmund, uh, where I mean, I guess they would like to get rid of him because he just earns too much money. Um, they already not earning. He he gets paid too much money. Um, <laughs> and and. Yeah, but they they don't really find any club, and and on the other hand, like if you you know if you get rid of him and and don't receive any considerable transfer fee, I don't know if you want to do that because I mean at least Atrishola is someone who can do decent sometimes, uh, or you know better than nothing, I guess. But I mean considering the uh, recent uh, Mikitarian rumors, um. It would be nice to get rid of some players who earn or who get paid uh, a considerable amount of money per year or per month um, to maybe pay someone who's worth it. Um, and I think um, the money surely gets paid is a better investment into someone like uh, Mikitarian also, or even plenty of other attacking players. But uh, yeah, you're you're here, uh, Shirley, and um, I think yeah. You're you're stuck in the marriage of Shirley, I guess. That's it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe uh, there is. Uh, we, have to, we have to commit a crime here to get to get rid of him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really feel like committing a crime, but uh, you go ahead, <laughs> sacrifice yourself. We've uh, never talked no, but, about it, all right? But yeah, of course not. Um, especially not on the record. Um, Lars, of course, we do have to talk about Henrik Mkhitaryan uh, coming. Potentially back to Borussia Dortmund. Um, do you see that happening at all? Because I can make a lot of arguments for why this will never ever happen. But on the other hand, I can make a couple of arguments for why it actually could happen. So go ahead and uh, tell me what you think. Well, let me preface it by saying I I would very much welcome him back and think it would be a, a very good idea for Dortmund, but uh, I don't think it's realistic. Uh, Mikitarian turns 29 three weeks into 2018, so he's going to be 29 basically uh, upon signing for Dortmund if that were to happen. And he's on a very large Manchester United-sized uh, contract, meaning he would very likely be uh, either Dortmund's top earner by a, a healthy margin or be asked to uh, forego like half of this uh, half of his salary at at United to, to come back. And I don't know how realistic that is. Uh, that to make that demand from a 29 year old player who left 
Dortmund as the best uh, football player in the Bundesliga possibly that season. Uh, either him or Thiago, I guess. Uh, I don't really remember that season too well outside of Dortmund. Um, so, and, and the, the fact also is that he's still going to have a market. I mean, players who don't get along with Mourinho too well aren't really, uh, aren't really considered too weak or too bad to play for others. I mean, it's just, he's very particular at times. And, and when you're in his doghouse, you're not going to get out of it. So, uh, someone like Mikitarian, I mean, if, if I'm Arsene Wenger, I'm trying to sign Mikitarian today because I'm going to lose Alexis Sanchez and possibly Mesut Özil. So uh, Mikitarian is probably available for a club like Arsenal. So and and they can afford a higher wage package than Dortmund can by a, a, a healthy margin, I would imagine. So unless there's something pulling Mikitarian back to Dortmund so desperately that. Money isn't an issue at all for him. Uh, I, I guess uh, it's more likely that he's going to leave for another club abroad from Germany, which uh, with a, a, a more competitive financial background, uh, meaning either backing from an owner or an investment group or whatever. But I don't really see uh, him coming back to Dortmund. But Again, I would I would really like that because even though I, I just said that there aren't enough minutes for Schürrle, I mean, Mikitarian would shoot straight up the list for Dortmund's attacking players. He he, I mean, imagining him with Götze and Reus and Aubameyang and Guerrero and Weigel, I mean, that would be really really awesome. So I I'd be. I'd have no problem whatsoever welcoming him back, even though uh, he used his uh, agent Mino Raiola to, uh, for a few stunts to facilitate his transfer to England, I guess, uh, is the polite way of saying it. But I mean, uh, the quality of this player would trump it all, but I just can't see it happening. Fair enough. I mean,. <laughs> If if we are honest, maybe this would be the or this could be the best strategy for Dortmund to you know have a sustainable success with uh, players that are not just talents but actually, you know, international class if not world class players, that they sell players that do well at Dortmund and then struggle somewhere else and then get them back just like they did with Götze, Kagawa and and Schein and. Um, I would say with Götze and Kagawa, it's somewhat working out. Um, even though Kagawa is maybe the influential key player he was uh, before he left and uh, Nuri Shahin definitely faded. But uh, I think Mario Götze, even though, you know, in a different role, is that uh, key player for Dortmund now, uh, especially, uh, yeah, or, or is going to be. You know, he's sitting on a long-term contract and he is, uh, you know, he has burned himself going elsewhere and I don't think uh, you know if he really hits form he won't think about leaving as as quickly as he did when he was what 19 20 somewhere along that line so um yeah maybe for Dortmund Henrik Mkhitaryan could be another of those players that really help them in the long term and have international experience and of course to me Mkhitaryan is a world-class player 
maybe not at Manchester United right now, but uh, what he showed in this uh, final season at Dortmund, uh, yeah, was amazing. And uh, I don't see why Dortmund should not try to uh, get him back. If you say, let's say, Schürrle and Yamolenko both to finance that deal, especially, you know, combine the wages to give it to Mkhitaryan, I'm for, all for it. I know it's not going to happen, but, uh, you know, one can dream, I guess. Um, it would certainly improve Dortmund's midfield so much more. Um, Konstantin, I guess you're also on the uh, f hashtag free Mickey train as we are here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's about it. I, I think he would... I, I personally believe that Mkhitaryan would add uh, something to any team in the world. So... Um, that he doesn't do that, or that he, you know, is quite unhappy at uh, Manchester United, uh, comes down to um, Mourinho, basically, because uh, I mean, that's it's it's interesting sometimes that you know maybe he isn't a starting player right now, or maybe he doesn't perform as as a starting player should do at Manchester United. But um, what what has happened is that he's basically dropped. You know, entirely. I mean, he doesn't get any, or almost uh, any playing time, so um, it's it's kind of weird, but it's also like uh, totally a Mourinho thing to do. Um, and yeah, he is a sensitive player, and uh, I think sometimes is a little bit thrown around too easily. That yeah, sometimes it's, uh, some someone is too sensitive, or so you know, Mr. Uzi is too sensitive. I don't think so, but in in Mkhitaryan's case, I think it's true. Um, that being said, uh, it's just you know if 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 there is a coach, maybe Stuttgart, Nagelsmann, uh, who can you know who uh, supports him and you know who who trusts him one hundred percent, then he can do quite well. And and in Dortmund's current system, he could play in basically five roles or so. Um, and, and so yeah, I I would say here's the thing: if you're Dortmund, you if if you pitch this whole thing to make it tire and you say look you were so good at the Westfalen Stadion because Thomas Tuchel and and the entirety of Dortmund we basically aligned or designed our system so it would be tailor-made for you you know it wasn't the case under Jürgen Klopp necessarily but Thomas Tuchel yeah did a couple of things that Mkhitaryan would work out better and uh, basically what Stöger or you know any Dortmund coach maybe Nagelsmann or whoever has to tell Mkhitaryan is basically, look, you're my man and uh, I want you to become the star of, of this unit, the, uh, you know, the focal point, if you will, you know, and and basically highlight your strengths opposed to in Manchester where he's just one of, of many players and, uh, yeah, it's not really made to shine by Mourinho whatsoever, rather the opposite, Mourinho actually slacks him off publicly and uh, this is how Mourinho treats players and really hopes that uh, you know this sort of pressure or treatment will make them better but uh, yeah I don't think that uh, it will help Mkhitaryan especially not in the long term so uh, yeah that's that's one way how I see Dortmund could persuade him obviously in the end money talks and uh, I don't think Man Dortmund have that kind of money you know I'd, I'd before I see Mkhitaryan realistically join Dortmund, I see him going to Bayern. Maybe he'll join Dortmund now and I'll eat my words. But if I was Bayern Munich and I saw what Mkhitaryan can do 
And I know I have age, aging Robin and Ribéry in my squad and looking for replacements. You know, Mkhitaryan could be a player to, you know, improve that squad, which of course would hurt a lot of Dortmund fans, but, uh, you know, would still be a sensible choice. And uh, they are certainly a club that can afford those wages. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think uh, Dortmund have now yeah, pumped up the wage of Pierre-Merrick Aubameyang to 10 million or so which I guess is somewhat competitive. I don't know how much is Mkhitaryan making at Manchester United? Probably 15 million, maybe 20. I don't know. What's Do you know, Lars, in what kind of dimensions we're talking here? No, the problem always is that uh, it's, before it's, wages, yeah. it's before wages in Germany and in, in England, it's weekly wage. So I, I, I don't know his weekly wage and I don't know what it is. Uh, would come out to when translated to German money. So uh, I can confidently say he's making more than anybody at Dortmund is and, and probably by, by some margin. Yeah, that is, that is I'm, true. I mean, the, the, the build uh, road of uh, annual salary of 12.5 million euros, basically 10, 10 million pounds, which I guess is, yeah, I think it's all right. Yeah, so do you think that Dortmund should just try to pay that no matter what Constantine or do you I, think they should not mess with their wage structure in that sort of way so um, I don't think and that that they will pay equal money uh, if, if Mkhitaryan comes to Dortmund he won't get that kind of money at any other club right now uh, if he you know he got I think there's an offer on the table from Internationale Milano um, they won't pay him 10 million Per year, um, because that's not the kind of money you earn in, in the Serie A. Um, if he goes to Arsenal, I think they will push a little bit down because it's a thing Wenger would do. Um, you know, uh, Liverpool just invested a, a big time money into uh, Keita and Virgil van Dijk, so I don't think they will pay him like 15 million or 12 million per year uh, plus the transfer fee. Uh, so I mean, he knows that he, you know, that his annual salary will drop a little bit. But I think, uh, you know, he, he just earned a big amount of money. So you know, coming to Dortmund and earning the same amount uh, Marco Reus does is still is still acceptable. Um, and you know, it's it's there's not it's 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 not that that kind of you know that kind of drop. Um, and, you know, just look at Bayern. Um, Frank Ribéry always earns a little bit more than Iron Robben. Uh, but I don't think Iron Robben is running around the Seven or Straße and, you know, is, is getting is getting mad about it. Um, that he Should uh, be. <laughs> that he earns, I think, two million less than Frank Ribéry. So, um, and, and, you know, there are other players like Jerome Boateng who earns a little bit less than, than uh, a few other key players there. So, uh, yeah, there's always something like that going on. And, and I think when, when Gotze returned to Dortmund, he, di he didn't get the, the kind of contract he had at Bayern. Uh, for certain, he didn't. Um, and Kagawa, I guess he, he earns less than he earned at... Uh, at Man United, Shaheen earns less than he earned at uh, Real Madrid. It's just a kind of deal. I mean, you return to Dortmund to quote unquote the smaller club. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the deal that you have that you earn a little bit less, but still enough to you know at, at enough to you know uh, get off the welfare uh, stuff there. 
Yeah, but the, but the, the 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 difference is that this is going to be Mikitarian's last contract, and we assume he's going to have other uh, offers. Uh, whereas someone like Shahin, uh, Götze, and and maybe not as much Kagawa, they returned to Dortmund because they were uh, considered failures at their club, and they needed to revitalize their careers. They were at other stages of their careers. I mean. Mikitarian is going to be, as I said, 29, three weeks into 2018. So this is very likely, at least, the la last large contract he can sign. And uh, Well, the, no, I don't think so. He can sign one now, and then in three years he goes to China and earns uh, enough money to support his, to support his, his children, grandchildren, and their grandchildren. Yeah, I mean, the problem isn't earning enough money. The, the problem uh, is earning an amount of money that you consider fair for your services. So I'm, I'm not saying it's in, entirely impossible that he's willing to come back to uh, Dortmund for much less uh, value than he can get at other clubs, but I think I, I deem it unlikely. And I guess that's probably the, the healthy way to look at it. Marco Reus, uh, I guess he, he gets paid so, uh, 9 million or so per year. Uh, 9 million uh, euros. Uh, well, the thing is, Marco Roy's wage could also free up soon if he decides to leave. You know, his contract it, is also yeah, yeah, absolutely, out. absolutely, and and also Mkhitaryan. I mean, as I said, Internazionale, I think, is interested in signing him. They will pay. They will. They will pay him less than nine million. Um, so uh, that's the other of offer on the table. I don't think PSG would do a move. They, I think, they were interested at one point in Mkhitaryan, but they have to get rid of a, a few players to. Uh, to get their financial fair play thing going, uh, I, um, they have to get 80 million or so. Um, so I don't think they sign an, another player who, um, you know, with a considerable uh, transfer fee there uh, involved. And so, yeah, if, if Mkhitaryan gets an offer from a club that, that would pay him more than Dortmund, okay, good luck finding one because I don't see it. I, I, don't, I don't see a club who would pay him more than 9 million per year. I mean, maybe Bayern if they would be interested, but I don't think they are. So who would? Um, there isn't one. I mean, he uh, City is not interested. Um, the the Spanish clubs aren't interested. So Serie A won't pay him that much. Dortmund would probably pay him the worst amount. So I mean, I I even get, I I guess Dortmund would would be the best option unless he goes to yeah as I say to China also. I mean that's that they are just out of uh, out of uh, everyone's reach. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, rumor floating around. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think the healthy approach is the one of Lars. You just not keep your hopes up at all. And uh, otherwise, just see what happens. Um, a transfer that I actually deem a little bit more realistic is uh, the one of uh, Manuel Akanji. I don't know if that's how he's pronounced. Probably not. But uh, he is, of course, playing for FC Basel, a centre-back. Uh, before... You know, becoming a pro, he was a fast track runner. So, you know, in in other words, he is very quick and he's a center back and something that Dortmund needs. Uh, <laughs> I think we have preached that uh, time and time again on the Yellow Wall pod. Um, I guess he would be available for around 22 million. Uh, last from uh, the incredible amounts of uh, video footage you have seen of uh, Manuel Akanji. Do you think this is the uh, choice or the addition Dortmund really do need to make in winter now? Yeah, my extensive study 
<lacht> of, of all things Manuel Akanji spanning at least 10 minutes of solid YouTube video footage. See you further than me. In that has, has yielded uh, a fairly positive result. Uh, you can see that he's uh, very quick um, and he's two-footed, which is always a positive because Dortmund don't really have many left-footed centre-backs outside of Donaksel Zagadou. Um, I mean, usually Mark Bartra plays there or Toprak when, because Socrates, I mean, that wouldn't, I mean, Socrates at, on the right side isn't usually very pretty on, uh, on the ball. So putting him on the left, I can't even fathom how that would look. Uh, so just from, from those two things, uh, those stand out as positives. Uh, and, and then you basically have to trust Dortmund scouting. Uh, which usually has been pretty solid, that he's also good in, in the classical defender uh, categories. I mean, he's not huge, neither in, in height nor in width, if you like. So he's not particularly tall and, and, and not a monster. But, you know, then again, Socrates isn't really a monster uh, just physically, but he's got the attitude uh, to be incredibly aggressive uh, in defending at least at times so that would be something that I would just have to put my trust into the scouting department of Dortmund that that he's good in those areas too uh, from what I've seen something he does well is stepping up on the ball into open spaces which is something I think Konstantin has identified as a weakness or not necessarily a weakness but maybe a problem of Dortmund this season that someone like Topak hasn't done that enough when given the opportunity especially under Bosch I don't know if that's as much of an issue under Stöger with the team being positioned a bit deeper but uh, it, it wouldn't hurt to have a modern centre-back uh, who, who's able to do that outside of Bartra who's at times just too much of a liability in defending so if uh, Akanji offers a decent package deal between defending and, and on-the-ball qualities. He is very athletic. I mean, uh, I don't know why they, they shouldn't sign him. He, he'd even be eligible to play in the Europa League because he's not uh, played in that competition. So uh, if ultimately, he might be more of a transfer with the future in mind, seeing as Socrates' deal is running out in 2019. And I think there's a very good chance he's leaving in the summer to yield a transfer fee before his contract runs out. So maybe Dortmund would treat these six months as more of a learning period, but I don't I don't really know enough about him. The, the one thing uh, I, I can still add is that I, I read that he was a, a track and field runner uh, and then I watched the video and, and I immediately thought of uh, Jonathan Tarr. And then I asked Konstantin who, whom uh, he would compare Akanji to. And he said he's basically the the uh, Swiss Jonathan Tarr. So if you like <laughs> Jonathan Tarr, uh, maybe Akanji is the, is the cheaper version of that. Yeah, Konstantin, why is he the uh, Swiss Jonathan Tarr? Uh, because he's not German. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's quite obvious, right? No, uh, because he he is uh, fast, 
um, maybe not as fast as Upamikano, but basically up there. Um, pretty gifted as far as possession football goes. Um, and and yeah, I mean, he's, he's like good in every department, not great in... Uh, apart from the from the um, speed thing, he's not like great anywhere. But but uh, you know he can you can still um, yeah you know, let him learn a little bit uh, because he has just played for Basel. Um, and so if Dortmund wants to go the uh, we pick up another talented centre back route instead of we invest a lot of money in an established centre back. What? you know, one time we would do that because Dortmund hasn't done that at all. Um, and and sometimes I think that's that's an underrated aspect. Um, you know, maybe instead of... I mean, we just talked about Mkhitaryan. I'm a big fan of him. I would like to see him back at Dortmund instead of uh, getting wasted uh, by Mourinho. <laughs> so Dortmund's back to Dortmund as soon as Tuchel... That's, that's another... Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I, I like the way you're thinking. I like it. Um, who knows? I mean, maybe that maybe that's happening. Um, but let's say that doesn't happen, or let's say Hummels goes to uh, FC Barcelona. Also, um, I, I heard they maybe looking looking for another centre back. Um, but but let's say that that doesn't happen. I mean, maybe you should invest heavily into in in, in one established uh, guy. But if you don't want to do that, then Angie would be someone. Um. Delict, uh, Matthias Delict also uh, from Ajax would be another one. Frankie de Jong would be another one, but not really fitting into the current system, especially. Well, that bridge is burned now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think so. Right. <laughs> um, I was just saying because Bosch just got fired, you know. Well, <laughs> would have but, been but maybe it's, it's, a bit easier to get those guys if you. Yeah, and it's, it's 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 not like Bosch has has only friends at at Ajax, by the way. Um, so I mean, he he made a few enemies just. As Bazuer or so, who's now at Wolfsburg. Uh, so uh, who, who knows? Um, I mean, there's there's still like the opportunity to sign one of these these talented and uh, Dutch setup backs. I uh, could do that, but Araji is, is another option um, in case you don't want to want to spend a lot of money. Um, but you know, looking around, that's that's what a lot of clubs do. Um, and unless you unless you're Liverpool, of course. Yeah. Who just shelled out like seventy-five million pound for Virgil van Dijk? Yep, yep. Yeah, fair enough. I I think the uh, the 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 pace thing, as he called it, is actually very uh, important for Dortmund, because even even though they uh, were positioned a little bit deeper now under Sugar, I don't think that's going to last forever. I mean, if Nagelsmann it's appointed at Dortmund or maybe yeah, Stuttgart just makes some adjustments. Eventually Dortmund will always push high up the field if they are the second best team in Germany or third best team in Germany. That's just how yeah, how they have to play football eventually, just because opponents will just sit so so deep. And uh, you know, having a little bit more pace and say Nevin Supotic or oh, I mean Socrates is fast, Toprak also not the slowest, but uh, if you have someone who is really, really as quick and can keep up with, uh, you know, the pacey wingers of other teams, then uh, you have a very good chance of, uh, you know, making a lot of last-ditch efforts. Peter Bosch, I think, called it Restverteidigung, the last-ditch defending, or or whatever. So, um, yeah, 
I think this uh, can be a key asset. You see it with Bayern Munich and Boateng, who I think is just very quick. And uh, of course, uh, Varane always comes to mind at Real Madrid. Uh, you know, those are very uh, athletic centre-backs who make a lot of difference, especially for teams that are usually playing as the favourites. So, um, yeah, I think this this will be a key asset. And I, I think when, uh, you know, Dortmund set up a profile of, uh, you know, what they need in the centre-back, then I think Pace was, you know, at the, I don't know, the very top of the list, but uh, top three, at least in the aspects. So, yeah, moving on uh, to maybe another of, couple of, of rumors. Lars, have you, do, do you have a favorite rumor that's floating around where you actually would say, hmm, that's a player I would like to have or uh, is it all nonsense to you? Like, say, Christian Pulisic joining Manchester United. That's something I do not see at all this summer. Um, I don't know about the summer, <laughs> but uh, no, I think. Um, I mean, uh, I think Akanji. There's something to that. Uh, there was some mumblings about uh, Alexander Golovin from Russia, but I think he and Dahoud might be a bit redundant. Um, I haven't seen much of him. Uh, the 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 alternative to Akanji, according to some reports, is a, a Colombian uh, Yerimina who's playing in Brazil. I don't even remember for which club, but uh, for one thing, uh, Barca have the option to sign him, as far as I understand it, and and might exercise it as they. Are a bit thin at this centre back position, and and also the the rumor that Dortmund would be interested to sign this uh, behemoth of a centre back because he's like one hundred ninety six centimeters, uh, which comes out to I don't know six five or so, six four six five I guess. Um, uh, the rumor that Dortmund would be interested to sign him for twenty seven million euros in the winter break, which uh, is preposterous in my opinion uh, for a player outside of Europe for Dortmund's uh, perspective uh, came from his agent who's also who also happens to be like his uncle or father so it's this typical name dropping winter with a transfer window nonsense that I guess these days uh, is kind of uh, we are kind of used to to all the BS coming out of so many outlets, especially uh, in in smaller countries and in or more generally in countries outside of Germany. Because in Germany, uh, we are reading about Akanji and and a little bit of Schulen. That's basically it. And I would almost uh, always assume that the local media are more in tune with what Dortmund are going to do than someone in Brazil or Colombia who also happens to be the father of a player who wants a nice contract at some European club. So I do believe uh, Dortmund will try to sign Akanji. Uh, there's too much smoke for there not to be a fire. But other than that, I think they are going to sit out the winter transfer window in terms of signing someone unless they can get Mkhitaryan and, and possibly try to offload a couple of players here and there who aren't really uh, 
in their long-term plans, uh, looking at someone like Schöler, obviously, but also uh, Erik Dorm, who was always, uh, almost at Stuttgart in the summer, uh, maybe Zubotic, whose contract is running out, uh, maybe Rode, but he's not uh, fit and probably can't uh, complete a medical. So I, I think it's not going to be a crazy January for Dortmund. And, and really, when has it ever been? When they signed Jojic, of course. <laughs> that was the best signing ever, considering he scored with his first touch. Yeah, that was... So You can't you can't have more instant success than that. But We, tra um, we just decided that it will be a country right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it will be a country, and then, uh, you know, I think Dortmund will get rid of... Uh, what last likes to call Kaderleichen, <laughs> the squad corpses, the uh, players you just don't need anymore in the summer. I don't really think that uh, yeah there are too many players that will change, but but who knows? Maybe maybe Wolfsburg feel like Andre Schule could do a job for them again after he did quite well in his last stint over there before he joined Dortmund. So who knows? That's at, at least a club that m may have the money. Yeah, of course, someone would take a loss on him, obviously. But uh, that's that's one scenario that I could see happening. But I don't know if Wolfsburg even have the ambition to go for sure again. Yeah, but, so but personally, I still hope that uh, maybe Delict is uh, or Delict also is in is in their running for the center back position. Uh, I rate him a little bit higher. I mean, I also rate higher Cherry uh, Mina, but um, I don't think that will happen. Jeremy, the, the Colombian guy lost just mentioned, you know, Jeremy, um, center back from Palmeiras because I think he will go to Barca uh, after the Umtiti uh, injury uh, because Barca has an option to buy him. Contractual right. option to buy him for uh, 10 million or so. It's it's like yeah, that's an, an a, a, enough, enough amount of money for, for someone like him. All right. Maybe, maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, transfer rumors in in general um of course uh pierre-merrick Aubameyang was uh, once again toying with the thought of uh, leaving uh i think he was uh, talking about antoine griezmann leaving atletico madrid and maybe that's a spot opening for him there i don't know if if that's realistic or not if atletico madrid are the sort of club that would go for Aubameyang, i don't know but uh Let's just let's just say for argument's sake that happens. Um and there also have been talks about uh, Olivier Giroud not joining Dortmund just because of Aubameyang still being there. Um Konstantin, do you think this could be something happening next summer that uh, Dortmund sign what 31-year-old Giroud or so to replace Aubameyang who then goes to Atletico Madrid after Griezmann joins Barca? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. I, I I would I would at least think about the uh, true option uh, if if it's really an option. Uh, who knows? Um, true would be an interesting candidate at least, uh, especially the market for or the, the center forward market is so thin um, that you know if if you want to sign someone who can perform. You know, immediately, um, and not someone you have to build up uh, like the Isaacs of the world, 
then um, yeah, Jiru might be an option um, to at least think about. Uh, and I think he, he would be, you know, he, I think you you could have the or they have the money to to get him and pay him. Um, so other than that, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what they will do uh, once uh, the old Wamyang boss is leaving town. So. Um, it's 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 a little bit problematic there up front. Um and, and there's there's basically no one in the Bundesliga uh you could sign. And don't come with Mark Uth, he's not a center forward, not in the four three three. Um and I, I don't think they you know, they think about it someone like Guido Burgstaller or so, uh, from Schalke. So it's 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 pretty it's pretty tough um to fight someone. I mean, the, Simon Terrode is still playing first league football in Germany. All right? That's everything you need to know about the guitar situation uh, in the in Well, the not not for long though. Not for long. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You will be get relegated uh soon. Um so but that that's everything you need to know about the the uh center forward department in the Bundesliga. I, right, right now someone like Davy Selke may be an option in the future. Um yeah, maybe and even Daniel Ginchek if he wasn't injured all the time. Yeah, but yeah, Daniel Ginchek, that's like kind of a gimmick, right? He, he has a few good matches and then he gets injured again. And then like all the all the fans are thirsty and, and they want to see him again. And then he comes back and then he is injured again. And, uh, you know, it's like a circle. Um, it's a circle of his life. Um, so, yeah, and I don't think Dortmund can get hold of uh, Timo Werner. Um, unfortunately, but that won't happen. And and same with Josef Pelsen. Uh, maybe Davy Silva is an option, but other than that, you have to look outside the Bundesliga. And even there, it's it's not like there are there are these great set uh, set of forwards running around and just there. You know, uh, you can just pay them and and get get them. Um, uh, it's 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 pretty tough. It's pretty tough. Uh, maybe you have to find like an an alternative. You know, turning a a winger into a center forward, turning a number ten into number nine or something like that. Uh, like but it's surely. <laughs> sorry, uh, no. Uh, but it's always a tricky and risky. Um, but even like Owami Young, when he played at Saint Etienne, he wasn't he, he wasn't really the, the the center forward there. He was more of a wide winger most of the time, especially in his, in his last season, if I remember correctly. Um, no, actually, more a left winger, I think. Oh, more left winger, but he was a winger. Because I would, yes. but I just I just forgot the name who was the set of forward back then it was a, was a veteran, um, but uh, yeah, so so I mean, that's that's it's 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 it will be tough for Dortmund to replace him, and um, uh, I don't know, maybe someone comes up, maybe Jan Fita up, uh, will will be someone Dortmund can can get, um, which would be an interesting option actually, um, actually yeah. Actually, uh, Arp might, might be one, but he's not right now. He's seventeen, eighteen, so uh, hmm, um, maybe too too early uh, to really you know get put all the load on his shoulders. But um, as far as technique and athleticism goes, um, he might be the best option you, you've gotten in Germany, outside of Timo Werner, of course. Yeah, Lars Olivier Giroud, something you would do or no? I mean, he's very attractive, but uh, <laughs> you you would do him if the opportunity presented itself. Uh, who's to say what I would or would not do? But yeah, uh, as for signing him to lead the line for Dortmund, that would be like a fallback option for me, I guess. Someone you 
no has the ability to be somewhat consistent in front of goal and he does a few things better than Aubameyang with his back to the goal obviously uh, but you know he's in his 30s his, his play does uh, define itself a little bit at least on physicality I mean all these headed goals uh, he's scoring for Arsenal how long is he going to be athletic enough to do that uh, for Dortmund so I mean, if you can get Giroud, uh, you you probably know what you get and and have a decent option for like one and a half, two seasons. So maybe that's the time to develop Alexander Isak instead of playing him for five minutes every uh, three weeks. Or, you know, sign a new young center forward who needs to be built up a bit uh, like that uh, Romero rumor from Bild who were <laughs> absolutely nailed on that he would sign for... Oh, he went to P uh, PSV. Oh, what what happened there? Now, uh, I, 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 I guess Giroud would be a fine option, but, you know, there's no way this is going to happen in, in, in January. And I think if we're... 75 minutes into the recording of this show and talking about hypothetical transfers for the summer if uh, Aubameyang leaves for Atletico because Dietmann went to Barca even though Atletico have already signed uh, Diego Costa who's not played for them because he uh, because of their transfer ban. I think it might be if I make may make the suggestion time to uh, come to the end of the show, I guess. Well, we haven't even talked about Anthony Modest yet, Lars. Yeah, not happening. Next. All right, cool. Um, no, You're I, a Hector. <laughs> I don't know. I can actually see that happen, but... Um, yeah, me too, actually. Because Cologne obviously will be relegated and Dortmund do need a new left back. Will they? Are we sure? I mean, Rafael Guerrero, let's, let's face it, he is not a good left back option at all. Joho Park already gone and all you have right now is Schmelzer and this is not really a long term option just to rely on Schmelzer because we know I, I actually, his I hamstrings actually think, yeah. are also not always 100% so you know I would like to see Hector and Schmelzer or, or at, at least another left back let's put it this way another full back for Dortmund so um, obviously Hector I also could see a little bit more as a as a third center back, if you play with with a back three, then uh, Schmelzer, of course. But I actually, I actually think that Rafael Guerrero is is the tenth best left back in the world according to the ESPN 100 rankings. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if, if you want, if you want to uh, listen to me talking about the ESPN 100 rankings, you should check out the uh, FootballNation.com podcast. Yes, you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> to to just have a cheap plug here. Yes. All right, with that, I guess we can really knock it on the head now because Mikel Merino just has been subbed in for Newcastle, so Lars is probably keen to watch that rather than listen to us talk. So well, actually, Lars Stefan, I'm going to catch the final bits and possibly overtime of the Derby della Madonnina in uh, the Italian Supercoppa, so, or not Supercoppa, but Coppa d'Italia. All right then you can second screen Marino if you want. I don't know what you purvey right now. But uh, anyway, please tell our fine listeners where they can find you on the internet and uh, 
ask for more questions when you have another long ride ahead. Uh, the fine and not so fine, no judging here, people uh, <laughs> who are listening to the show can just follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman. And I actually uh, promise I won't do uh, another uh, AMA for a, a few good months because I think it's kind of clogging people's uh, timelines too much. Well, you just gotta follow enough people so it, it unclogs. That's the that's the trick. Um, Constantine, where can people find you? Twitter cc underscore eckner spielverlagen dot com. We have a we have a big piece coming up soon um, about uh, 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 some of these uh, uh, a team from England. I, I don't want to spoil it. Um, and also <laughs> must be um, must be yeah, Burnley. Has yeah, to be. Um, actually, it's Bournemouth. <laughs> No, Huddersfield. No, that's that's that wouldn't be possible. Um, no, it's actually Middlesbrough. Uh, so, uh, and also, yeah, as I mentioned, yeah, the footballnation.com, uh, another podcast project, you know, uh, mine and Stefan's, uh, where I had a solo show uh, talking about the ESPN 100 rankings. I, I talked to myself for about 75 minutes or so. I'm yet to listen to that. So it's What basically is? basically like a yellow wall pod episode before Stefan edits out all the bad parts. Um, no, no, he, he doesn't edit at all. Um, and also, yeah, it, it, it's basically like that, but without the interruptions, you know, from, from you people. Yeah, but only that one episode. I'm usually on there, but uh, I had more time constraints than I cared to admit in the uh, last week. So Constantine had to do, <laughs> had to ride the unicycle for what, 75 minutes? <laughs> I guess I, I'm. Are you I'm crazy? For, for about 60 minutes, I'm talking about the uh, ESPN 100 rankings, I think, or for 50 minutes or so. Um, I'm going through all the rankings, you know. Just um, I'm, I mean, I, I re I'm ranting about uh, the lack of Joshua Kimmich, um, that Rafael Guerrero is the 10th best, uh, best left back in the world for whatever reason, and stuff huh. like that. Um, Interesting. And, Well, yeah, they didn't that, ask me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they didn't ask you. I mean, in the write-up, I think Rafael Honigstein does all the, the buy, uh, short buyers for the uh, Bundesliga players. Uh, so, blame him, I guess. But we want to get him on the show, so we shouldn't blame him. So, scratch that. Um, yeah, and I also have a new gimmick going on on the, on the Fußball Nation. It's that I, I created an Amazon list, and, and people can, you know, they can either send me the book or, or let me know that they that they want me to review the book um so we have some um, book reviews going on yeah it's it's great all, all, all around yeah and i talk about the espn rankings for 50 minutes and then for an, another 25 minutes or so about the ballon d'or and cristiano ronaldo and everything else and yeah. uh, I'm just saying i would have had time to come on but if i'm not welcome on your uh, private project that's okay It's 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 kind of yeah it's yeah we will invite you at one point. But you, <laughs> you could have asked last. <laughs> yeah, you could have asked. You know, you could have just asked. Uh, I mean, but but on the other hand, uh, we 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 it shouldn't look like a yellow wall put copy. So we, you know, we had like a little bit. But but we will get you on if we can pay you. You know, as we know, you are basically the Migitarian of the podcast business. I mean, I'm going to be 29 Uh, seven <laughs> months and ten days into 2018, and and that's the only thing that that differentiates me from Mikitarian because otherwise we're basically the same. You're you're basically the same person. I, just... Yeah, don't you also speak like five languages? 
Yeah, but two of those don't exist anymore, so it doesn't count. <laughs> and, and also, is, is Mino Raiola your agent? No, but uh, the father of Yeri Mina is also my agent. That's that's quite convenient. Ah, right. Yeah, that's why you didn't know where he plays. Yeah. So, Stefan, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely off the grid now. Now they can find me at Stefan Wutzko. And as previously mentioned, you can find me... Uh, <laughs> you can find all of us, geez, the Yellow Wallpot at Yellow Wallpot. And yes, in case you're still listening for whatever reason, uh, don't forget to send us your category for the uh, mid-season awards. I heard Lars already back for a favorite pass and favorite assist and whatnot of the mid-season, I guess. So uh, please make sure we get that in there. <laughs> if you're If you're still listening, you have no life. Bye-bye.